Scene 7. Mere Magiculture. Reflecting pool at Thor's base, Shentlepiece City. Frigg's Day, evening, 24th of March, 1283. Eve of the Feast of the Annunciation, New Year's Eve. A harmonious female voice in concert with her harp resonates high on Tuscarora Mountain with a purity and range that would make the best practitioners of Celtic music tear up with awe at its beauty. Sighing elves listen and watch as Xena treads lightly across the aromatic pine boards in her flowing, white evening gown toward the colony's only magica tree. Sprouting from a large, ornate ceramic pot, the magica tree sits in the middle of a reflecting pool wide enough that no one can approach within ten feet of the tree without climbing into the pool. Its stem is dark blue and the innermost leaves are a lush green. As the branches unfurl farther from the stem, the leaves yellow out a little until they start blending into a Halloween orange. The outermost leaves are bright red with violet tips like fireworks. Hanging beneath the most mature branches are tiny golden fruit buds. Five feet above the magica tree, an aqueduct curves past the colossal statue of Thor that overlooks the outdoor theater. Cool, clear mineral water springs from the heart of Tuscarora Mountain and cascades down the aqueduct into the reflecting pool. A rainbow weaves in and out of the mist as it showers the pool with its glowing crystal droplets. With a gentle, graceful motion, Xena steps up onto the ledge of the pool, singing and playing the harp. Her music finds the melody that stirs a long-lost dream in Johnny Appleseed's heart. Maybe it was his first love, his awkward eloquence in chasing her with a frog, and her rambunctious innocence in making him kiss it that left such a fond but forgotten memory. Or perhaps it was the day God the Father first lifted his soul up to the seventh heaven and locked inside it the sure faith that good will overcome evil in the end. Whatever it is that holds him, Dungaree Jean's words bring him out of the nostalgic trance. My dear Zena's teenage years have been bumpy, but she has a good heart and it comes through in her voice. The songs she sings are ancient elf lullabies preserved in our tradition from mother to child, but she breathes a minty freshness into them by her heartfelt passion to cherish the gifts of nature and to use them for the good of all. Johnny Appleseed feels some culture shock when he sees Xena descend into the reflecting pool, wading her way toward the magica tree. He agrees, saying, As we say in Kentucky, her voice could soften a hardened criminal's liver like a wad of butter on a hot griddle. Still, that's the first time I have seen a girl in her right mind go sloshing around in a public fountain pool without any sergeants trying to arrest her. She has a license to tame the magica tree. Any gruff move or threatening stance toward it makes the tree vanish. A gentle gait, calm demeanor, and soothing presence can get a person close enough to call one of the branches before it disappears. Mage Nittany, dean of Penn Mage University, has witnessed Mademoiselle Zena touch this same magica tree before. She will come back in a few weeks to observe her. If Mademoiselle Zena successfully cuts off a magica branch, then Mage Nittany will help her turn it into a magica wand and allow her to start her apprenticeship as a freshman magicolter at Pin Mage University. Good for her. My, my, look how that aqueduct spits out its water so high above the pool. Every time the wind blows, it drizzles all over the platform. An immensely proud mother 
Dungaree Jean cannot help telling him everything she knows about magic culture, even though she has an inkling that Johnny Appleseed might know more about Magicka trees than he's letting on. Magicka trees only grow beneath waterfalls because they need the rainbow light refracted through the spray. That's why you see all those glass prisms dangling from the sides of the aquifer. Taste and see how refreshing this water is. Dungaree Jean picks up a cup off a small stand with twenty or so white ceramic cups on black iron ring holders around the center staff, making it look like a little black and white Christmas tree. She scoops some spring water up to the brim and hands it to Appleseed. The good reverend takes a sip and smiles with a gleam in his eyes. Mmm, whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, Christ says she shall not lose her reward. I am deeply honored that you invited me and most grateful for your kindness to me. May the Lord bless you and your family. Out of the corner of her eye, she spots a group of rowdy teenagers gathered around the umpire-in-chief. I fear our council of perfects was more open to your gift of black flame than to hearing you preach God's word. They are very hostile towards Christianity. St. Paul built tents so he could work and live among those who were not open to hearing God's word. I give out apples and black flame so every corner of Vinland can hear the good news. Staring absently at them for a brief moment, Dungaree Jean sees Nganyan wearing crutches with a big cast around his foot. He nods to umpire Kibbler and then starts moving toward them with a purpose, followed by a dozen or more other high elf teenagers. Dungaree Jean instantly snaps out of her trance. Reverend Appleseed, permit me to take you on a walking tour of our beautiful city before dinner. It will help you work up an appetite and will leave you with some fond memories to cherish. We get a lot of honeymooners visiting here. They called Tuscarora's treetop colony the Venice of the Skies. Reverend Johnny Appleseed thinks about that last statement for a moment. Venison pies? None for me, thank you. Sounds delicious, but I don't eat deer. Dungaree Jean stops and thinks for a moment. Oh, not at all. We don't eat deer either. Deer are sacred in our culture since we ride them. Johnny Appleseed asks, Are there many vegetarians in Shentlepea City? As Nganyan's teens get closer, her danger instincts set off alarms, ringing out loud in every corner of her skull. She drags Reverend Appleseed off in the opposite direction and comments, Some high elves do refrain from eating meat entirely, but most are out for blood. Footloose and fantasy-free. They walk quickly and take frequent turns until they lose sight of Nganyan's gang of teens. Glittering in her misty moon-blue, diamond-studded evening gown, Dungaree Jean strides out across a suspension bridge away from Thor's base. Even as the suspension bridge wobbles under her brisk steps, her gait and upright posture never waver. Neither rushing nor hesitating, her hips sway on high heels that tread lightly and decisively on the wood planks beneath her. Lesser men would have easily been enchanted by the influence of her unrelenting femininity and fallen on one knee by now to profess their ardent love, but Johnny Appleseed walks behind her with a cheerful innocence. She glides up a set of stairs with the stamina of a professional athlete, but Johnny Appleseed does not allow her to outpace him. His highly ambulant lifestyle keeps him firm and fit, even in graying old age. Johnny Appleseed asks, who is the boy on crutches following us? Although she's been trying to downplay their evasive maneuvers, Dungaree Jean is not entirely surprised that he knows exactly why they've been rushing around in their tour of Shentlepea City. She sighs. 
That was the Monsieur Enganyan. He is the son of one of the most powerful high elves in Chantelpeace City. My dear Zena and Mademoiselle Florence have been best of friends for most of their childhood, but between the election and the Monsieur Enganyan's charms, they've been at odds lately. It's really a shame, because my husband died before my dear Zena was born, and umpire Kibler has been the only father figure she's ever known. He's really encouraged her to follow her dreams. Johnny Appleseed gives her a compassionate nudge. Believe me when I tell you from personal experience that God makes himself the best father a child could ever need when we invite him into our hearts with childlike trust and simplicity of heart. Yes, I believe it. But my dear Zena never invited God into her heart, so it's very empty right now. She's trying to fill it with a powerful boyfriend and an even more powerful position in our government. She wants whatever she can't have, and because of it, I'm afraid she'll lose all the happiness I've worked so hard to provide for her. Sounds like you got a lot weighing on your mind. Hope my visit won't make it any harder on you. Dungaree Jean walks even faster up the long flight of wooden stairs. When they reach the top, she waltzes across the garden patio and sweeps her right arm across the cityscape below. Perfect peace abides up here. The sky can never belong to the despots. People grovel to the powerful and carry out all manner of atrocities, but 150 feet above the ground their power ceases, their influence fades, their authority disappears. Ah, reverend, to live in the heart of the sky... Let your imagination soar. Set your fantasies free up here where no one can take you down. Johnny Appleseed approaches the ledge and looks at the skyline that sets Dungaree Jean's fantasy free. The glowing red horizon behind the setting sun lends fascinating hues of pastel yellow, deep blue, and purple majesty to the scene. The evergreen sequoias sprout girders and trestles across one base after another, like a skyward paradise floating on clouds. The forest floor is so far down that he can't even see it in the dim shadows of the rising moonlight. As he leans on the elf-sized railing, gazing out into the picturesque scenery all around him, the high elf teenagers reconvene behind him. This time they have a large dog with them, they giggle and snicker and set the dog loose on him. The dog's body mass and velocity hold enough momentum to carry Johnny Appleseed over the edge. The good reverend does not seem to notice the dog coming at him. Dungaree Jean hears the heavy thumps of the snarling dog's paws as it barrels toward her guest. She turns her head to look. The dog is about to make umpire Kibler's prophecy about tall men falling over low railings come true. She screams. Skyfall. Johnny Appleseed's eyes flick over to his screaming friend and follow her panicked gaze to the ferocious dog racing at him. He raises his hands up to the heavens in prayer, and the next moment the dog turns docile, padding up to him at a gentle trot. It starts sniffing his pant legs. Reverend Appleseed pets the friendly animal, and it begins to rub its tush up against his knees. The teenagers disappear into the evening twilight. Dungaree Jean stops screaming and swallows hard. Still panting, she asks, What just happened? Oh, this poor little fellow's just hungry. That's not what I saw. I know that dog, and he's become quite wild of late. He was about to attack you. With a wave of your hands, you calmed him down. Do you have some kind of power over wild beasts? It was just a little miracle. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name give the glory. You could say I'm a Christian druid. 
spend a lot of time in the wilderness and often pray the prayer of Daniel in the lion's den. Miracles happen all the time, if you have faith enough to notice. By the way, you mentioned that you know this dog. What's his name? His name's Fido. He's old Mother Hubbard's dog. The Hubbard clan was once the wealthiest and most powerful of the high elves at Tuscarora. Now she can't even afford a bone for her dog, so he started going around begging. The high elves don't like stray dogs and treated him roughly. Ever since then, the dog has had a mean streak. Johnny Appleseed rubs the dog's shoulders and chin, asking, There's some scraps around here that we can offer to our sweet little Fido? Dungaree Jean finally calms down her breathing and suggests, Let's head back to the garden party. The Council of Perfects is sponsoring a boar roast on the council chamber's front steps out of the public funds. We could throw him a bone. Johnny Appleseed shakes his finger at the dog. Sit here, Fido. We'll bring you a little treat if you're a good doggy. Fido sits and wags his tail, licking his lips as if he knows he's won a treat from the tall visitor. The public festivities to celebrate Appleseed's visit are quite an extravaganza, although the good reverend himself was not specifically invited to the party. To honor their guest's gift of apple seeds, they have placed an apple in the boar's mouth and baked several apple pies. Umpire Kibler has provided a large number of soft-baked cocoa chunk cookies and spiced choke cherry cider out of his own personal funds. To make the occasion memorable, he has declared the reception dinner open to wood elves as well. Well-paid, armored dwarves act as elevator operators, courtesy staff, bodyguards, and bouncers all in one, making sure the right people, and only the right people, make it onto Thor's base without a hitch. Posh, black-robed halflings with slicked back, dark wavy hair and white sashes carry trays with hors d'oeuvres and amuse galls, pickled fish eggs, goat hoof paste, and other elven delicacies. While Dungaree Jean asks the caterers to provide her with a spare bone for the dog and a tasty treat for her guest, Johnny Appleseed leans over the edge and swallows hard, quite a long way down. She brings him a spinach quiche pie, and he nibbles it gratefully. Thank you, ma'am. As we say in Kentucky, praise the Lord and pass the gravy. Dungaree Jean tugs his arm. Come, there's one other place you must see. It's called Worship Base. After delivering the bone to an effusively grateful Fido, they cross a few more suspension bridges and reach Worship Base. Dungaree Jean tells him, The other twelve bases only have one sacred space each, but Worship Base has several large temples. Over there is the Temple of Saturn, which serves as a hub for trading with passing vendors and traveling merchants. My appointment as Dungaree of Foreign Trade entitles me to an office on the second floor. That rounded building is the Temple of Braggy, which we call the Radial City Music Hall because of its round shape and supporting arches that radiate from it. We hold most of our concerts there. Elves are brilliant musicians, and my dear daughter, Zena, has perfect pitch, so she is much sought after, even at her young age. And down there is the Temple of Astrea, which is an observatory for the stars. Oh, look, the first star is starting to twinkle. Make a wish, she suggests politely. I don't see it. Appleseed points up to the heavens, hoping to locate it. Is over yonder somewhere? Dungaree Jean grimaces. You're not supposed to point at stars. It's bad luck. Just look. See? It's that little star twinkling over there, so high up above the world, like a diamond in the firmament. Astrologers say that starlight is the fifth element, ether. But Christians say that the stars are angels singing God's praises. Isn't that right? Johnny Appleseed says, 
It's true that when Christ was born in Bethlehem, the angels filled the heavens with light and sang, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people of good will. As to what the stars are made of, I can only wonder. So did you make a wish? Oh, a guy like me does not get wishes from stars. They say it makes no difference who you are. When you wish upon a star, your dreams come true. What are your dreams? Dungaree Jean prods, as if to remind him of an important lesson from his childhood. Well, I have a dream, that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, humans, elves, dwarves, halflings, goblins, and trolls. We are all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, and Jesus died for us all, light and dark-skinned, green-skinned, and pink. Wow, what a noble wish. But come, it's getting late. You're invited to stay at Betsy Rose Mansion, my home, as long as you wish. It's not far from here. Thank you for your hospitality. As a rule, I only stay in one place as long as I'm needed. Then I have to move on. My hope is to end hunger and spread the good word to all of Vinland. I'll have to leave bright and early in the morning. Dungaree Jean peers out into the forest one more time. Then please, take a moment to soak it all in. There's so much beauty around us for just two eyes to see. Oh, if I were a painter, I don't know which I'd paint, the calling of the ancient ethereal stars or the assembling of the angels above the saints. And see there, the mountains are drifting off to sleep with the innocence of children. What a gorgeous evening. Johnny Appleseed looks over the ledge with her. Boy, we are mighty high up. Makes my head dizzy. We call that vertigo, Dungaree Jean explains. Live here long enough and you'll hardly feel it. Just then, the rowdy group of teenage elves reappears. Though hobbling on crutches, and Ganyan manages to strut forward, showing off his fancy white tunic and blue denim pants with black boots. His slicked-back, half-braided, platinum-blonde hair sparks envy and awe within the gang of teens. Dungaree Jean greets him in runic, to keep it all very formal. Good evening, Monsieur and Ganyan. So nice to see that thou art wearing the blue variety of my denim pantaloons. What service might I render thee this fine evening? Balancing on one foot, and Ganyan slaps his hip and replies in the common tongue, Eldrick. Yeah, I'm wearing my blue dungarees for you, Jean. Blue is your favorite color, right? Dungaree Jean maintains her speech in runic. Thou shalt address me as Madame Dungaree, young elf. Now, if thou hast no further business with us, please step aside. And Ganyan snickers and says in Eldrick, Me and my buddies here just wanted to personally extend a few words of welcome to your Christian guest. It's very nice of him to give us all that black flame for free. She sighs and says with one half exasperation and the other half sarcasm in runic, How courteous of thee, but unfortunately thou hast never bothered to learn English. And Ganyan just smirks and hops over to Johnny Appleseed anyway. No worries, Madame Dungaree, he retorts. There's always the universal language of friendly gestures. With that, he lurches off his crutches and swings around, delivering what is supposed to look like a heartfelt pat on the back, but ends up being a hand-whipping whack. The less-than-gentle blow propels the good reverend forward over the ledge, giving him a truly breathtaking view of the 150-foot drop as he plummets downward. And Ganyan leans over the railing and mumbles out loud, Oops, 
That's gonna hurt, if he survives.